I'm Dan Broskell. And I'm Dave Geller. And we are the co-hosts of What Do We Know? What Do We Know is a free-range podcast dealing with wellness, education, sports, personal stories, and more from two guys who know a lot about certain things, but not a lot about others. Your hosts are Dan Broskell, a longtime educator, compulsive runner, and father of five. And Dave Geller, a pediatrician with three kids and an amazing Maine accent. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is Monday. April the 20th, 2020, otherwise known as Patriots Day, uh, but I would say a very different Patriots Day than most of us are used to uh, on the Lexington-Bedford corridor with parades and tanks on Mass Ave. I'm Dan Broskell here with my good friend Dave Geller, and Dave, will you please introduce our special guest for Patriots Day Monday? <laughs> well, we're excited to have uh, Dr. Joe Simon with us, um, a great friend, great uh, physician, uh, Lexington resident. Um, trained in pediatrics at Mass General Hospital, did a little time in primary care, and, and has ended up in the Newton Wellesley Hospital emergency room during a very exciting time. Hello. Good morning. Would you call it, would you call it exciting, or would you choose perhaps a different word for the era that we're living in? Uh, <laughs> exciting and stressful and scary and interesting, right? Very interesting. Learning a lot about a lot of different people. So before we dive into sort of the, the zeitgeist of Corona uh, on the front lines, just give us some backstory. You know, tell us about the journey from uh, New York City to Northwest Massachusetts to the Greater Boston area. Oh, <laughs> cue in on my banner. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I grew up in New York. Um, I have an older brother. We had one family member who was in medicine, like a close family member, but not our parents. Um, for whatever crazy reason, we both went into medicine, um, and we both do emergency medicine, actually, my brother and I. So I wanted nothing more than to get out of New York City, so went as far away as I could possibly go with my parents still allowing it, and that was the northwestern tip of Massachusetts to so the Berkshires, yep. and actually came back to New York for medical school. Unclear exactly why. I think I... I was sort of drawn back to New York. I wanted to be closer, but I knew I wasn't going to stay. Um, wound up muddling my way through and ending up in Boston for residency, and I've stayed. There are New Yorkers sort of scattered around, but there are not too many. But you know them when you talk to them. It's this automatic connection that if you talk, if I see a patient and I I just have a sense and I say, hey are you from New York? New York? And invariably they are, if I think they are. Is the giveaway like New York or they're like more subtle, like uh, sartorial things at play? What's happening? You know? Sometimes it's the subtle accents. Sometimes it's the references. Sometimes it's that I know you from somewhere. And then you play this game, which although New York is a huge city, if you feel like you know someone from somewhere, you probably do. I think the New York... It York Jewish community is also small. So Did you grew up in New York. You actually grew up in New York City. Strong, right? Yeah, exactly. I grew up. I grew up in Manhattan. I grew up on East Seventieth Street. Um, when I was fourteen, my parents wanted to live in the country, so to speak. So they moved us to Yonkers. Jersey. So I spent high go. school in New Jersey. Northern with, Jersey. We're part. Northern Jersey, which like uh, Closter, Englewood, Teaneck, where were we? Yes, that exactly that area. I, I lived in a town called Alpine, which is yep. a very small town. There is 
no mail delivery service. You go to the post office to get your mail. There's no school in Alpine. I was already in high school in the Bronx, so I stayed in, in high school there. Um, Did you go to Bronx Science? Where'd you go? I went to Horace Mann. So, very, very have, have, have you ever met any of the Beastie Boys? No, I haven't. <laughs> you know, people people meet Dave and they say, Dave, is that a New York accent? And he's like, no, nice try, everybody. That's true. That's true. So... Right. Hey. When I when I was when I was doing my residency, MGH, one of the ICU fellows, um, thought for sure I was from the Bronx. Yeah, what? you could pass. You could pass as being from the Bronx. You totally it's, could. It's pass. A sh- it's it's rich. A little bit shift in your in your two hundred miles oh, south of the main coast. You know, it's I true. shouldn't say I went to school in the Bronx. I went to school in Riverdale. I went to school in the very okay. upscale right. Bronx. Yeah, Riverdale is um, not exactly you know so, the Yankee Stadium area for sure. So yeah, exactly. So I left New York just at the time that living in New York would have been the most fun. Yeah. Maybe that's part of why I went back for medical school to to enjoy that aspect of it, but who knows? I knew I wasn't going to stay there. Um, we still go all the time. Obviously not right now. My mom lives there. Yep. So we make our way to New York. You drive, do you train? What do you do to get there? Um, drive mostly. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, I've taken the train. It's not as, not as reliable as my just hopping in the car for over Driving the past years. Yeah. Back and forth to New York a lot when my dad was sick. So okay. Our goal is to have our kids like know New York and feel comfortable in New York. What's your favorite New York movie? Oh gosh, something something Woody Allen, little You've Got Mail. What do you like? You know? <laughs> wow, that's a hard one. I'm gonna think about. It. I'm gonna get back to you on that. I'll get back to you by the end of this yeah. on what my favorite New what's York that, movie is. What's that Christmas movie right with um with uh with the Santa Claus, the guys in the old black and white movie. Um, Miracle on 42nd Street. That's your favorite movie. Whatever, you're, you're right, the, the, the three Jews that's about the, the best movie. New York Christmas movie. It's great. <laughs> so, I don't yeah. watch it every year, but it's a good movie. So I, I would say that the biggest distinction between like you, you're, you're encountered with New Yorkers and Dave and mine is that when you were at Brandeis, every other person was from New York or Westchester or Suffolk County. So the default was, oh, you're from Long Island or you're from, you know, right. or you're from like Mamaroneck, like take your pick. That's true. That's there. There are a lot of people up here. It just seems like New Yorkers wind up going yeah. back to New York, I yeah, or staying I, in a place like Boston, which I would say may be a little bit better. So I don't know. I think that was that was actually that was a tough time. Brandeis when we were doing the uh, the Mets Red Sox um, World Series, right? Oh and, really? Uh, oh my God, you are you not, are old. Wow, yeah, it's true. That was. That's you're da- you're dating yourself. Well, then I was there in the late '90s when it was all the you know Posada, Jeter, you know, also Yankee heydays. Oh, it's not fun, but you know we've had a good 21st century here. So, Jill, I, are you are you, you migrate to Boston sports fandom, or are you kind of ambivalent? I keep quiet. I keep quiet. Um, we did not really grow up watching football, so I'm happy to watch the Patriots. I'm happy to watch anyone. Yep. I love the game of baseball so i'm that person who's sitting at the game and cheering whenever there's a good play so i do not specify who i am rooting for fair as a kid was more of a mets fan (laughs) than yankees fan well then you then you then you peaked early because it's been a rough 30 years (laughs) (laughs) exactly that was a long that was a long time ago i remember sitting at stay stadium uh shea stadium eating hot dogs so, uh, so I mean, my, my all my good friends from Brandeis were Met fans. So I actually ended up going to a bunch of Met games sort of throughout college. We actually went to the game. I think it was probably twenty three years ago. Was the night that Jackie Robinson's number was retired, and they did it at 
Shea Stadium. And wow. I think I think Bill Clinton like spoke. So we actually drove down from Brandeis to Shea to the game and like saw, you know, Bubba and the whole thing. And it was some like really, really cold, you know, New York April evening. And then like drove back that night and that was a pretty oh cool God. Shea Stadium sort of met, you know, Mr. Good Met popping up on the thing, road trips. So that was, was pretty cool. Did but you I'm, wear I mean, any of your Red, you, you wear any of your Red Sox gob there, or you did you not do no, it? No, but famously, and it was summer of summer of um, summer '94. We went down uh, to New York uh, as like a camp trip for the week, and uh, we sat in the bleachers, and I and I absolutely wore my Roger Clemens home <laughs> Red Sox jersey and a Red Sox hat, and then the Yankees Stadium bleachers. And believe me, there was a lot of hot dog and swearing, and someone stole. My hat and chanting at me, and I'm like, you know, that's fine. And I was 16, and my I'm good friend, it. my good friend Zev, who is like a, a deep and deep and dirty, like brain tree Red Sox fan with a serious <laughs> accent, like totally sold me out and like bought a Yankee hat and like participated in people shaming me. I'm like, dude, you're not a real Red Sox fan. Come on, what are you doing? <laughs> but that was that was a long time ago. I do have photos of, of me receiving the hat back from the Yankee Stadium usher, though. So. <laughs> No hard feelings, guys. We are not here to talk about my experiences in the Bronx, unfortunately, uh, nor yours, David. Um, but you know, Jill, you, you are you're doing you're dealing with some extraordinary moments in medicine and in in sort of frontline care. So, can you talk about like what has sort of the ascent or descent been over the past four to six weeks into the current reality that you're dealing with, and what does that look like? Sure. I mean, it's you know nothing like anything any of us would ever have imagined. Um, a lot of the past month for us, so so I I work in the pediatric emergency. Pediatrics in our facility is age zero through twenty two. So we see up through basically all the college kids. Um, so you guys are talking about Brandeis. That's like our patient population. Um, over the past month until really this week, it's been. A lot of preparation, both from like our emergency group and from the hospital and not so much unknown. You know, we're seeing what's happening in other cities like New York and what was happening in Washington and what was happening in Italy and kind of using that as a guide to figure out how do we staff? What do we do with our hospital areas and how do we best prepare when this surge hits? And it's seeming as you know, the predictions are that the surge is kind of hitting. And if you, if we look at sort of what's going on in the different hospitals in Boston, it seems like those numbers are kind of reaching this maximum. So we've done a lot of figuring out, like, as far as our group goes, how many people are going to be working each day? How many people do we have the capacity to bring in each day? And where are we going to put people? So my group is five people, the pediatric group. We had been covering the emergency department from pediatric perspective from 10 a.m. until 2 a.m., seven days a week. About a month ago, we switched that for a couple reasons. The numbers of kids coming in have been very low. People are staying home. People aren't in school. Kids aren't getting the viruses they normally get. So the volume has gone down for us the general volume has gone down because people stay home. Yep. So we no longer work 16 hours a day with two physicians. We have for the past several weeks worked 12 hours a day with one physician for a couple reasons. We need to be able to have enough people at home who can come in if we start getting sick. 
Um, and also we just didn't have the volume and we need to be able to have another person be able to help somewhere else should we need. So literally every day we've gotten an email, what's the volume, where are we needed? The adult group has done similar things in terms of their staffing um, to accommodate for people leaving and being sick or you know waiting until their COVID tests come back. Um, and every day we get an email, okay, this is what we're doing for now. Okay, this is what we're gonna do next week when the volume goes up. Um, the biggest change we made in addition to like decreasing the number of days that we work, but increasing the hours when we're there is we physically changed where we see kids. This was about a week, week and a half ago. Um, and we moved our area to a slightly more remote area so that the pediatric patients that we see are completely separate from the general mass of patients who are coming in. So now, you know, three months ago, if you were a parent bringing your child into any emergency room, you'd be sitting there waiting an hour, potentially two hours to be seen. The volume was so high. Now you check in, you get brought directly back to this other area. You get seen. If it's quick, it's you're in and out within 20 minutes, oh my um, gosh. Yeah. which you know, for us, it's that that part of it's amazing. Like, I feel like being able to give this care so efficiently now amongst, you know, in in the setting of what's going on is so helpful to parents that, you know, they can they still don't want to come in. But if they have to, they're really kind of diverted. Um, oh. our, our pediatric group has our age cutoff has changed also. So we're seeing adults, you know, you're considered a pediatric patient if you're under the age of 30 for anything. Wow. You're a pediatric patient up until the age of 50 for a lot of things. And if you're 60 or 70 and have a minor issue, like you tripped in the garden, you get seen by the pediatrician. So it's a very different role we're filling. It's, it's, intense it's scary you know my adult colleague, colleagues who are seeing the sickest of the patients you know their their role is intense and scary it's just we're all kind of being asked to step outside the box of what we normally do right now wow which I mean, is yes, I mean, i've read that you know the, the sort of non-covid deaths are just down everywhere because people aren't doing things and staying home so just that the regular traffic of, of injury and, and critical care is just non-COVID is down substantially. Is that is that in fact what's happening? Yes, it, it for sure is. Although, you know, for pediatrics, the majority of what we're seeing right now is injuries because you take all of these kids. Well, you have, you have, you have kids. A couple, yeah. <laughs> you put them in the house together and yep. you keep them confined to only each other for a month to two months and they're going to start getting hurt. So <laughs> I feel like our, our injuries are creeping up every day. Sure. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm all these, I'm seeing all these Facebook videos of people, you know, the kids, you know, uh, running around on the, on the kitchen tables, dancing on chairs, you know, the trampolines. I mean, yeah, the injuries are, are definitely up there. Yeah. I mean, people, buying, you, people you, buying trampolines to. Yeah. Oh, know, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know, interesting so, that you say. 
that you say that you're taking care of older older um, people now. I know heard like some in town hospitals like that. You know, they, they, they actually Mass General, right? We were both trained. They 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 turned one of the pediatric floors into an adult floor, and now they have the um. I heard the the uh, pediatric residents, you know, rounding on the adult patients right now, yep. right? So our our inpatient, we had a fairly robust, or we still do have a fairly robust inpatient pediatric program at Newton Wellesley. You know, we would have upwards of 10, 15 pediatric patients admitted. That unit is primarily adults now. So the pediatricians who are in the hospital are taking care of, you know, more so the young adults with non-COVID stuff going on. Um, the But we're basically any pediatric patient who needs to get admitted we may be able to keep a couple but they're primarily being diverted downtown right now and you know the majority of the hospitals are taking care of adults and you know over the days they're taking care of more and more covid adults um but yeah i mean i think one of one of the fears we have and not alone in pediatrics i think you know the my adult colleagues have the same fears there's still disease process going on. Um, you know, it's not the stomach flu that you see rampant around school in March and April, but there are still people out there who have their chronic diseases or who have serious disease that they may be staying home for um, because they don't want to come in. And so our, our worry is that when is that going to kind of start hitting and are the people that we're going to be seeing in the next three six nine months going to be sicker because they've been waiting at home yeah this is my question for you dave i mean because we see it every fall you know when kids go back to school everyone gets sick Hmm. and what's it going to look like whenever it happens whether it's june 15th or september 1st when everyone who has not been exposed to anything gets back together is it going to be like holy crap strep for 90 percent people or there's is there any comp for that happening this has never happened before this sort of mass sequestering and then hey let's 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 have our germs meet again like is there really a risk there am i just sort of being paranoid i mean this this is so much value in these conversations and just hearing what joe just said it's kind of awoken me to what your question was and i wasn't even I mean, there's gonna, there's always that time, right? There's the reset and then the rebirth in a way, and the re-exposure. And there's a, there's a lot of probably viruses out there right now that no one's being exposed to, and we're all gonna hit, be hit with them. And you're right. Um, I think there, I think there's gonna be, there's gonna be a, a, a big buildup once we're all back exposed to each other. I mean, it's weird because I mean, Joe could talk about this too. Like we're still seeing kids strep, you know, that yeah. strep that are coming in, and kids with pneumonias and kids with air infections. And they're getting exposed somewhere. We just don't know where. Um, but you know, so it's still there, but so so much less. But yeah, I think it's going to. I think when when people be you know reverse the distancing, it's there's going to be an increase. I'm sure. So I mean, so so illuminate me and other ignoramuses. So like, how how can you catch strep in a vacuum? <laughs> it's, we have we have this conversation every single day. Yeah. You know, our I think part. There's a lot of anxiety in my sort of in my workplace in every workplace right now. But part of it is when someone comes in who has a fever or, you know, who has symptoms, part of it is where did they get it from? And are we looking at something way more serious than 
we would on any given day yep. when everyone was in school. Mm. You know, we're, I, I don't know the answer to that, except that there is, you know, the portion of people who are still going out and they still have their family members who some of whom are still going to work or who, whether they're healthcare workers, whether they work in the grocery, whether they're going to the grocery store, you know, I think it's still there. It's just kind of muted. Um, Dave, you mentioned going back to, we were talking about going back to school um, and Dan, you had said as well, I sort of look at this from a, a disease perspective when the kids go back to school, which I'm assuming will be in the fall likely. You're sending these kids back to school right when the peak of flu season starts. Yeah, it's going to start up again. Exactly and right. We don't yeah. know. We don't know at this point what COVID's going to look like in the fall. Um, we don't know what percentage of the population is going to have had been exposed and have immunity to it. And so then you have all these kids, and that one kid gets a fever in the classroom. What happens? It's a it's a great it's a great it's a great thing you great thing you're bringing up too and in, in, you know we're jumping so far ahead right when do we go back um, I've heard um, that some colleges now in Boston are, are, are planning for a January start um, and you know you think about the vaccines I mean we start vaccinating kids for the flu in August end of August early September and is that going to be a, a what are we going to be vaccinating them with next year you know it's a it's some big questions you know it, it's interesting just to segue a little bit you know you're talking about seeing adult adult patients now right and um you have a, you have a, you have a very strong you know primary care background i used to used to practice primary care right on acton and then you segued into uh, in the concord, uh, yeah 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 concord yeah in the er um like, like, how do you how do you find that balance right now? Like, you know, do you are you do you you know are you seeing any any benefit? You know, you, you, you are you are primary care trained, but do you see any cross more crossover now with that? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say more now than before, but I definitely the couple years that I spent in primary care, and I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I left after a few years, but by far made me better at what I do in the emergency department. Um, you know, from little things like really understanding the immunization schedule and if a child comes in at a certain age, knowing, you know, whether or not I need to have a conversation with them about, you know, say their tetanus status, um, to just kind of understanding the primary care issues that people come in with and not just saying, you're fine, there's no emergency, but kind of going the next step further and saying, why don't we think about doing this? Or, you know, t I would talk with your pediatrician about this, this or this. Um, now, I would say, maybe it helps a little bit with sort of the older adults and having the background. Um, but again, the majority of what we're seeing now really people do need to get seen urgently for you know i think yeah. the level of acuity of of people is a little bit higher because everyone is staying home um i will say you know that you're being seen by a pediatrician in the emergency room when they accidentally ask you who your pediatrician is and also <laughs> if your vaccines are up to date like that's a sure sign you can be sure that the pediatrician is seeing you so 
Yeah, one of the one of the greatest things for me is knowing you. You know, you you general. You know, I, I have so many patients that will go into Wall Street Burns room and they say, I I, I, met, I met Dr. Simon, one of your friends. You know, and we, it's really it's really to me like the um, continuity of care, right? Where I can actually call the ER and speak to you. You know, when my patients are going in there, and I also know some of the nurses there as well. And you can also speak. You know, ask who your doctor is, right? And you know me. It's it's kind of a neat thing. Absolutely. Um, you so you're also you also met. I'm just going to say too, you know, you're talking about the the um, the age range you're seeing. My friend here, uh, Dan Brosco, last night was um, FaceTiming me his his thumb infection, which we had a, <laughs> we had a triage we had a triage over the phone, and uh, I almost had to enlist your services. We were going to, you know, I knew we were going to be talking today, but he had some, some strange infection, which he she was easy uh, there, buddy. Easy. <laughs> I will say it, it, it's Dave. It's it's a great resource to have you on uh, on my favorite call list in case you need to ask questions like what is this thing under my nail? And then give me the play by play as I sort of uh, take out the uh, the infected goo. And I'm like, hey, that was really fun. That was um, good. But, but you know, <laughs> we don't need to talk too much more about that. Um, so uh, you know, just because we're both here, and I think Dave's coming from both a, a, a primary care and also from the board of health perspective, and Jill, you in the emergency room. So now that we're into this six weeks, really. Um, what's happening with kids? Are kids getting it? Are kids getting it more or less? Are they getting sicker? Are they not getting sicker? What do we know about, about kids at risk with COVID? Yeah, I don't know, Dave, if you want to speak from the office, because you probably see a higher volume of them than, than we do. Yeah, I mean, again, I, and I'll throw right back at you. You know, we, you know, you know initially, we were talking to so many people um, parents and kids who, over the phone who probably ha had some virus. We just don't know what it was. And we were assuming it could have been COVID-19. Um, and we weren't really seeing them in the office because we because they weren't that sick. We were trying to keep them out if possible and, and, and decrease exposure to everybody. Um, so I think so we just don't know. We don't know who had it. Um, and, you know, but we, if they did have it, we did not see, and that's where you, you come in, Jill, like we did not see a lot of kids that needed either to be seen, you know, urgently or, as, you know, we did see a lot. We've, as you're doing, you know, you're just seeing kids differently in the ER. We're seeing kids in our parking lot if they have any right. symptoms. Initially, that was easy, right? It was cough, fever, recent travel. And then it became right. cough, fever, recent travel, sore throat. Muscle legs, anything, right? So, so we, so we saw a lot of kids who were sick, but nobody that got really sick. Thank goodness, um, yeah. and needed, you know, for actually, you know, I don't think we had to have anybody further evaluated um, in the emergency rooms, or definitely admitted. Uh, we had some kids that were sick with different things, but not ended up ended up not being COVID nineteen unless we, as you, you know, the testing isn't perfect. Right. Um, so yeah, so we haven't seen a, we, and we've definitely seen a decrease in overall, you know, stuff in the in the uh, office. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. You, similarly to Dave, you look back to a month ago, six weeks ago, and at that time, the criteria for who could get tested for COVID was so limited. Yeah. Every test was being done through the Department of Public Health. You had to meet criteria, which included travel. And then they expanded it, and it was if you were in direct contact with someone who was at the Biogen conference. So that was sort of the next stage. And it's been very piecemeal as far as the testing, which is which is part of, I think, the issue as far as when we can sort of get back to what we would consider normal. Um, 
I will say as of the past week or two weeks, anyone who comes in with fever or cough or sore throat or body aches or an inability to smell will get tested for COVID. Not every one of those patients will get tested and get a result right away. Um, our turnaround time is upwards of a day or two right now. Um, but we're starting to test a lot more people. But even, I think it was maybe three weeks ago, I had um, someone come in who the entire family was sick with a viral illness. And I think in the end, we wound, I wound up sending the COVID, but it was very unclear whether they met criteria. And both parents worked, you know, had to go outside of the home to work some of the time. And so it, it was confusing. Um, we've had very few pediatric patients. And by pediatric patients, I'll say, you know, teenagers and younger actually have COVID um, or test positive for COVID. But we've had a number of patients who they have some virus and we have to assume it's COVID right now. Like I really don't have any other reason for what their viral process is. And some of these were, you know, kids who are coming in to us who are being sent by the primaries because they've had, you know, the televisit after televisit and just not getting better, weeks of fever. And at that point we do the lab work, we do the chest x-ray, we do the strep, we do the COVID and it's all coming back negative. So yeah, I, I had, I, I've had a, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I've had a couple kids. I mean, many kids, college kids, right? They're all coming home from travel abroad, right? In colleges, they came from Spain. They had contacts. They had contacts who were positive over there. They came home. They had. They were sick. They had fever. Their family was sick. They, and, and then they, they were tested and they were negative. It's the, it's, you know, the test was so is it the test? Is it the? Is it something with? I know there has been like there's been information that has looked at the actual COVID virus and that children don't have the ability to incorporate it into their body. Like that's one of the theories, but does that mean that they can still have symptoms, but not test positive? I know we don't know the answers. I mean, there's certainly children who have COVID um, who are, are, you know, who are hospitalized. The numbers are fairly low. Yep. Um, as are, far they, as I mean, I, are, are they consistently low across regions? I'm, I'm the reason I'm asking is because I think it's pretty clear that Lexington and Bedford, Newton, Wellesley, it's a, it's a bubble of a certain kind of demographic, right? Which is going to be able to stay home from work and get away with it. So, right. are more urban hospitals seeing the same rates of testing and positives and kids? And is that a trend, or is that something that we that you don't have any data on? You know? Yeah, I don't know anything about um, Boston Medical Center. Uh, and what's going on in at BMC. I know that Mass General has, as Dave had said, has pretty much um, shrunk down their pediatric service. There's no longer a pediatric ICU at Mass General right now. So there's a small pediatric floor and it's primarily adults. Um, I don't know the numbers as to what percentage of that floor is COVID, if any. Um, the primary hospitals that are taking kids right now are Children's and Tufts. Um, and, you know, 
most of it is from me at least hearsay. You know, there are definitely some COVID patients, not a ton. Um, you know, the other question is we're now screening so many more people for COVID. What, you know, the, the critically ill children, are they just incidentally positive for COVID? We don't know the answer mm. to that. Yep. Um, okay. You know. So on the, on the positive side, I mean, we talk to people who are really committed to supporting the work that you're doing in the emergency rooms and hospitals. Um, are you are you getting lots of meals and stuff from people that care about the work that you're doing? It's a, it is amazing. It is yeah. amazing what's happening. And, you know, I can I can't I can't speak to every group or person who has donated because there are far too many. What I will say is that we do not have a shift go by where there isn't food. And you you wouldn't think that, that that was an issue, but it's just our way of life and our way of going to work is so different now that having the ability to run to the back and grab a sandwich is huge. Not only that, you know, people's people's parents are donating shields and donating goggles and we're getting supplies of things like masks and, you know, Tyvek suits to have if we need for, for protection, just everything. We've had Girl Scout troops donate cookies to us, like everything. I had a, I had a friend of mine who I went to elementary school with, who I know through social media, like we are in touch only through social media, sent a message to me and she said, you know, my husband owns a, a mixed, a mixed nut company. And can I have your address so I can send you guys a huge box of nuts? So, I mean, it's, it's awesome. totally, totally amazing. And yeah, it's you know, even, even things like masks, you know, making homemade masks, which we're not using in the emergency room. My daughter's friend like came over and she's like, I made you a mask. It's that, that shows just how amazing humanity can be. So you know, it's, it's interesting, like when we were when we were residents, right, that you in the ICU or the NICU, PICU, like that, that, that midnight meal, that 11 o'clock meal you had was like, was just like gold, you know, and so <laughs> I can only begin to appreciate, you know, people, people, and again, I've talked about this, people have, you know, I've reached out to me saying, you know, thank you for all that you do, you know, what we do. I mean, it's not me, it's people like, it's, it's you guys, you know, it's you in the ER, you wearing those masks, you know, you know, for those shifts, you wearing up the suits. You guys gobbed up and working hard and being exposed. I mean, you're going to work. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, go wherever you want with this. But you're you're going into work, and you know, I've talked about this a week or so ago, right? You're going going to, into work every day and possibly being exposed, right? And that's that's a big deal, you know. That's you're you're getting in your car and driving there and knowing, you know, you could get sick, you could get exposed, you know. Yeah. Yes, but I mean, I feel like, and I'm not not to minimize anything that's going on right now but i feel like it's part of part of what we do as healthcare workers right whether it's covid whether it's something else you go into work and you have no idea who you're going to get exposed to on any given day our culture has definitely changed as far as how we you know physically go to work like i always wore scrubs to work but I brought my lunchbox, I would put it in the fridge, I, you know, changed my shoes, but I kept my shoes in the emergency room, I had my bag. It's, 
it's different now. I have literally a market basket bag that has my stethoscope in it and my goggles. And I have a cooler that I have like a couple sodas in that all goes under the desk. When I'm done with work, everything I have gets sanitized. I change my clothes before I get into my car. I get home. I put everything in the corner for three days. I don't know. I've come up with, you know, three days. And then after three days, I clean it all. I, you know, I shower when I get home. I have a pair of shoes that does not go into the emergency room. It's just, it's very different. I mean, you get used to it. We do it. It's, it is what it is. I've changed my, I changed my coat around. I used to wear the same pair of pants three days in a row in the office. Yeah. But now I, I change them every day. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good thing. God bless. Um, So, so, so you no, know, I, 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 I got one question for you, Joe. You know, when you, when you, I always get this question, you know, when you're growing up, you know, well, what made you become a doctor, right? So you, so you, you know, that's not my question for you. But, you know, you went into primary, you went to MGH, trained in pediatrics, primary care, right? You mentioned that you, you and your brother now both work, you know, as emergency room um, physicians, you know. So, you know, it, it was, you know, some people say, oh, I was, I was carving the turkey when I was 12 years old, and that made me want to be a surgeon. You got you and your brother like throwing rocks at each other, stitch, you know, putting band aids on each other when younger. Like, what what drew you from primary care into the ER? Um, you know, I definitely I wasn't one of those. I was you know three and a half and wanted to be a doctor. I never it wasn't in my mind. I knew I was good at science and math, and I knew that that was sort of something I wanted to do, and I knew that I could talk to people, and it just sort of sort of happened. Um, you know, when, when you, you kind of remember residency, you're sort of going through and you get exposed. One of the amazing things about Mass General was that we did a lot of community medicine. So you get, you got exposed to a lot of different things. Um, I, anyone who was in my residency era will tell you that I had no idea what I wanted to do. And you know, you could still ask me today and I might say I have no idea what I want to do. Um, but I sort of saw myself in in a number of different roles and couldn't quite figure it out. Um, I knew that I wanted to obviously stay in pediatrics. Um, I liked the idea of having relationships with patients, but I also liked the idea of doing things. Um I couldn't really decide. Like there was a period of time during residency where I almost went and did an intensive care fellowship and I applied for the neonatal intensive care fellowships. I I had no idea. So I wound up going to Beverly Hospital after I finished and did a year doing emergency and working up on the hospital floor and I loved it. It was just a little far. Um, there was something about Newton Wellesley that always, always just, drew me to the hospital. I, I loved it. I loved doing rotations there and the opportunity came to get a position there and I took it. Um, I went to primary care when my kids were young and kind of the balance of working those late ER shifts was, it, it wasn't working. Um, and I kind of felt like maybe I didn't give primary care a chance. Maybe I should try it. Um, and I know we had had lots of conversations at that time. And so I, I did primary care and I, I realized pretty quickly that 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 need for sort of doing was really 
there for me. I missed the procedures. I missed kind of the acuity. I loved the relationships I developed with with families, and I still have relationships with with some of those families. Um, but I really was missing what I had done, and. I was fortunate, you know, the opportunity came to go back to Newton Wellesley and again, I took it and, you know, who knows, I had, I had a mentor, you probably remember Pat O'Malley, who, amazing, amazing person, every, she told me once, she said, every 10 years, you kind of reform what it is that you want to do in your professional life. And you go Mm -hmm. from there. So I've been back at Newton Wellesley for nine. So we'll see. Yeah. I have one more year. <laughs> how are um how are your kids doing with uh with no school? Uh <laughs> I have two young teenagers yep. and one is fairly social and one is a little bit more um kind of happy to be at home. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I think the kids I think the kids are amazing. I don't know how they're doing as well as they're doing. I can't imagine being 13 or 15 and being home with my parents all the time. Um, you know, my daughter is at, is at Clark and she, um, they started the online stuff a couple weeks ago and she kind of regulates what she does every day. And she is getting through Grey's Anatomy and has gotten through like eight seasons. So she's learning a lot about medicine also. Awesome. Um, I think it was, it was hard for them at the beginning to sort of understand why they couldn't go to their friends' houses and why, you know, why they as kids who weren't, you know, getting sick, why it was an issue. And, you know, we just kind of talked to them and explained and tried to explain. I mean, you know, they listen sometimes, but... Yeah, okay. I, I have that experience, I have that experience as a parent too. I mean, Dave, we're coming back to the comment about you know in person classes at colleges starting until January twenty twenty one. So once the shock of the spring has worn over, like in short order, people need to start deciding about summer, whether that's summer camps, day camps, overnight camps, uh, uh, summer pools, and it, it looks right now like the trend is going to be we're not we're not going to open a lot of that stuff at least not open it you know in 6 to 8 weeks and that's that's one hurdle for kids to overcome and hurdle 2 is like what's happening and you know at LHS or in Bedford in September and what's happening at BU in September right. and no one's ready but now i mean someone said to me yesterday like i can't believe they're talking about it right now well they actually have to talk about it now if they're not going to have people moving in in august for yeah. lots of different reasons and that's a little bit heady you know, from my perspective, and um, you know, I mean, I, I, I sort of, I believe the collective will come up with the right decision. I just don't know which way it's going to go about that. Um, but surviving a spring like this for our kids, heading into summer and trying to figure out what life would look like with extension into June and July is going to be, you know, a different kind of trauma uh, and stressors on everybody. But you know, on the flip side, as you mentioned, Netflix, Jill, you know, for years and years we held out, but three weeks ago i'm like you know what we're doing this week we're getting a new tv and we're getting yeah. Netflix because you know what it's gonna happen right now and god god bless because i've been binging as dave knows a lot of stuff which has been uh pretty much a saving grace since we're not doing the things we would like to do my wife's not playing you know softball and soccer as you've done with her before jill so um yeah it's, it's, all, it's all new for everybody you know talk talk about your softball career for a second jill because now that you're a softball player of some note I can answer. I can answer your question. Obviously, when Harry met Sally is my favorite New York movie. Thank you so much. There we go. 
<laughs> Sorry. Oh, come on. Are, are you saying no, Dave? Are you saying no? It's, it's, it's the right answer. It's that or you've got mail. Okay, it's right answer. Okay. <laughs> why that? Why that? How about King Kong? Kong? How about how about King Kong? That's a good move. Oh, stop it. King Kong, exactly. You're the worst. <laughs> you were talking about about Netflix. So yeah. one of one of my closest friends from college gave us this idea, which we we've been trying to do. So we generally watch a movie every night. And the, we've made a rule. The rule is, I mean, we don't normally. In in <laughs> captivity, we watch a movie. Who's every- your pediatrician? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We have no screen time ever. <laughs> the rule is, you, the first person gets to pick a movie. Then the next person picks the next night, but it has to have an actor with the movie from the night before or the director. Nice. So Ooh. you involve a little research in that. Oh, I like and that. And it kind of... It kind of devolved. It didn't can, work. Can you give us an example of what what a couple of days looks like if you play that out? Uh, like, so I'll give you I'll give you two days that went before we decided to went go off course for a little bit. So it only, la- it only lasted two days. <laughs> it lasted more than two days, but the two I can remember. So Max Max picked um, 1917. So he's my 15 year old, sure. and. So we watched 1917 and then it was my turn to go up and I looked and I didn't watch most of it. I was, I was upstairs reading, but obviously, you know, cause I'm, I'm a good pediatrician. I read. No, <laughs> and I picked the King's speech who had, which had Colin Firth in it. So, but then we were like, Oh, this is like a whole British theme. And we They're decided British, to yeah. <laughs> away from that for a little bit, but, but it's worked well. Well, you, uh, you could just do like theme versus actor director. So you could have done like you know Dunkirk, you know, or some other sort of cool right, British right. love actually, you know. So play that out another, for a while. Another war movie, you know. Yeah, it for sure. Depends, but it's hard. It's hard to, for every stage of kid, I think it's this is challenging for them, you know. Yeah. Whether you are, have are they are they are they pressuring you to see friends? Do they have friends who are seeing friends when they shouldn't be? Like, what's your sense of how that's going? Um, not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. I mean, that was like week one. There was a lot of pressure, um, you know, not not so much anymore. I mean, it's, you know, they're they're getting sick of and, and they've always been like this. If it's a beautiful day on the weekend, I say, guys, let's go outside. This is a beautiful day. And they're like, well, there are going to be plenty of beautiful days. So, <laughs> you know, and that's exactly how they talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think. Watch this. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, are you guys masking up when you walk around outside? It's a good question. And I I will say the way I felt about it a month ago is different than how I feel about yep. it now. Yep. Um, and I'm the first one to admit that. I mean, I realize that I don't know that a cloth mask is going to do much to protect me. Um, but if I am shedding the virus and I'm asymptomatic and I'm walking close quarters with someone, then my mask may present, may protect someone else. I wear a mask to the grocery store now. Um, when we're walking around, if we're walking in our neighborhood on the, sh- on the sidewalks, we don't. Although yesterday we were walking the, you know, around just Lincoln Park and, you know, there is an area where you're sort of walking by people fairly closely. Yep. Yep. So I kind of feel like 
if I'm walking with my kids, then we, we kind of have to start doing it. Um, if I'm going for a bike ride on the streets, I'm not wearing a mask. Yeah. I mean, my thinking has definitely evolved. I mean, a month ago I was like, no, never. And now, yeah. thanks variety of factors. I, I am wearing it, you know, in the store. Um, yeah. I'm not wearing it when I'm, when we're hiking or, or running around because a, it's uncomfortable. My glasses fog up immediately and I can't see anything. Um, but, you know, I, I was, I was, you know, shamed and yelled at on the bike path because I was talking to somebody else. Stay on the other side of the path. I'm like, really? But uh, and to the some degree, I kind of understand where that's coming from. But I would never, I, I saw a thing about, you know, in, in Brookline now, they're calling 911 on people in the street who aren't wearing masks. I'm like, we don't need to be doing that. I don't think, but I mean, who knows what's happening in a month, you know? You're right. That's the thing. You don't know what a month is going to look like. I, I think people are scared yeah. and I think people are holding on to anything that may protect them. Um, I will say my, my blood boils a little bit when I walk through the supermarket and see someone wearing, you know, the N95 mask on yeah. that, you know, is not designed for that purpose. Sure. When we're walking around at work with, one mask for an entire shift that's designed to be single use for one patient. So, you know, there, I'm not going to stop anyone and yell at them. As I, as I said, before we started, the only person I will yell at is someone not wearing their helmet. That's the only totally fair. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I've actually stopped people. I've actually stopped, stopped kids on their bikes as, as Dan knows, or give me yelling, put your helmet back on the, um, <laughs> the, um, you don't, you don't more than that buddy. <laughs> yeah. You stop people on motorized bikes. <laughs> so, we, so I'm, I'm, I've not been going as many walks as hikes as, as uh, Dan here, but like I realized, like when you're walking now, uh, when you're walking on a trail and you go by someone, is I realize that there's a lot more nods from people to uh, to acknowledge that you're there. And I realize that the nod, I think, is more so they can hold their breath as they go by. Um, so, so as you know, if they're not wearing a mask. The other thing is, is uh, we're actually spending a little time in Maine right now, where Jen and I are from, and it's interesting the the culture up here. They go into the in the supermarket, the, the local Hannaford supermarket. It's probably 35 percent mask wearers, and the rest aren't. Wow. So I was I was I was going to jump on that Dave because you know, as, as I was also telling Jill, you know, before. So as in my shopping patterns, Dave, you're aware I do the I frequently in the old days would do the Trader Joe's Market Basket Burlington yeah. twofer, and in, in a good in a good day I'm in and out of both of those places and home within the hour. Now with the Trader Joe's distancing and the line and, and the Market Basket there, the line of the Market Basket in Burlington is literally a double line of 50, 60 people. I'm actually not going to wait um, to go to that one. But if you think about it, like where that Market Basket is placed is at the intersection of Arlington and Lexington and Bedford and Burlington. And I'm sorry, like a certain kind of person politically lives there. When I go to the ones in Billerica, the masks are like 35%. That's interesting. And until last week, I wasn't wearing a mask at the one in Billerica, but now I do. But other people aren't. And, and like we all know why that is. And I'm curious to see like what's that going to look like in another right. two right. weeks? Well, or, or what's going to look like in at the, at the Hannafords in Gray, Maine, Dave, in four yeah. weeks if things are really spiking? Or people are just not going to say, you know, this isn't going to work and I don't care and I'm going to do what I want because this is America and don't judge me and we're all going to think about, okay, whatever. Like, you're putting yourselves at risk. But again, I mean, the point, you know, Jill says, like, 
there's still just so much we don't we don't know if one percent of people have been exposed and shed it we don't know if this and ten percent we don't know how close we're getting to herd immunity without testing so i think we all know until that happens no one knows anything right and we're just reacting and not being able to make any kind of decisions rooted in, in good practice and we won't be able to use ai to make better decisions about any of this stuff because no one knows what's actually happening and the numbers out of places like china are still sorry like unreliable we don't know what's happened so where I would say, like, we're probably still just sort of at the, at the middle beginning of any of this, um, yeah. which is a little bit sobering. Well, and I think people are looking for guidance, right? Yeah. They're looking to the CDC and the CDC, you know, their initial guidance. When was that? Um, a month ago, three weeks yeah. ago? You should wear a mask when you're out in public. Now, then they changed it and they made sort of more appropriate guidance right consider wearing a homemade mask to because i'm sure you know they got a lot of a lot of fallout from that statement saying don't wear the mask that i need to wear to work because i need to wear the mask to work to take care of the patients who come in who get sick right so then they change their guidance and they say okay it although the evidence isn't clear if potentially wearing a homemade mask may protect someone else if you are an asymptomatic shedder if you are going to be in an area where you can't socially distance but people kind of looked at that first guidance wear a mask in public to then shame you on the bike path if you're not wearing a mask you know like it's again there's so much that's that's just not known and you can look up all these studies that look at shedding of viral particles if you're biking by someone or running or you know it's just it's just not known, and I think we can only use the information we know about other viruses to sort of guide us. Yeah, and I remember uh, that, that graphic on the on the bike radar and like the, the Doppler cone of like shedding right. radius, and then it was immediately said, "Oh, that wasn't true." And I'm like, so I mean, so what really is it? Because I mean, I run every day around town within thirty feet of people. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to bet that it's actually, I'm not putting someone at risk. I'm going to bet. I'm sorry that I'm not in, I love how you just dropped the term asymptomatic shedder. Like it was so cool. And I'm saying, Hey, two months ago, nobody would have said that term and know what it meant. I'm like, Hey, we're all getting really smart. Um, so again, there, even that, like, no, I'm sure someone knows people think they, they own the expertise on that and they're going to throw caution to the wind, haha, uh-huh, you know, or not. Um, so it's, it's weird. I mean- I will say every every winter respiratory season before this hit, right? The way that I would go in to see a patient who had a fever was I would go in, I would have my mask in hand, I would be sort of at one corner of the room talking to the family. When I go up within three feet of them, I wear my mask to examine them. That's sort of how we always practice. Everything is different now. And... I don't think that there will ever be a full return to full normal, but you yep. know who knows. Everything is different I think now. The question about the, title of the podcast oh, right there. <laughs> yeah, but who knows? But who knows? <laughs> no, it's, it's it's amazing. It's amazing if you look at the flu numbers, right? How they precipitously precipitously just dropped right off the map, right? And um, and if I mean, if we can even come half as close for this for next year, you know, I mean, hopefully. COVID won't be around, but it's amazing. It's amazing the practice you're doing in the ER, right? With, with you know, with, the, with you know, wearing the masks and all those times. Like if we could all be- practice better hygiene, you know, who knows? Who knows what we can do? 
Right. There's the meme that goes around, you know, just because it's a pandemic doesn't mean you shouldn't wash your hands other times in the world. <laughs> so exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, I, I famously said like for 42 years, you know, I'm, I'm the least germaphobic person ever. You know, I wouldn't wash my hands all the time. I eat stuff that fell on the floor after like more than three seconds. And I'm like, well, I think some things are probably changing for good. And like what, to what degree that's the case uh, is a good one. I mean, you know, in this country, like we resist change, but also at the right time, everything will change immediately. So again, mm -hmm. on, on September 10th, 2011, I mean, 2001, like we flew a certain way and then something happened and then we'll ne we're never going to go back. So my question really yeah. for everybody is whether it's for medicine or how do we expect to educate our kids to, you know, how do we work remotely? Like certain things are really going to change forever. Um, and certain things will revert back to some kind of what the way they used to be. But I mean, most things are probably going to be shading differently, you know, for better, yeah. for worse, which is really, really scary, but also really interesting. One of the first things I, I said to the kids when this all began, I'm like, guys, just think about it in college. You're going to take a class on like statistics and epidemiology, and you're going to talk about what's going yeah. on here. They walked away from me, but <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool. They're like, let's go watch a movie. Let's go watch a movie. Let's go play, play outside. outside. Get away from mom. Yeah, it was funny. I do hear someone, someone is playing basketball out there, and I did not really force anyone to go outside. Well, I don't know what's Dave, going on. Yeah, as Dave knows, like, the, the forced march to the Brasco children Sorry, just make a, make a good show. Is, is a thing. You know, yesterday we banged out a five-mile round trip from Carlisle to Concord on a beautiful trail. Um, and I'm and I'm about to write a post about, like, you know, what our, have our favorite hikes been. But, you know, in, in 30 years, like, our kids are going to be like, hey, you remember in 2020 when we stayed home and did all this stuff that, that we never had the chance to do again? So I appreciate that we're living in a moment which kind of sucks, but also offers, you know, us an opportunity to do things like find a new way to watch movies together or experience the outdoors yeah. together or connect with people in this fashion, which was really special and different and helped us sort of feel good in a time of real stress and anxiety. Um, Cause we're all feeling that too, I'm sure. Yeah. They're not going to remember the complaining. They're going to remember that, you know, their parents were around or, you know, that they actually hung out with their siblings or, yeah. you know, didn't have to rush to get ready for school, got sleep, you know, know right? my son's like, I haven't had this much sleep since sixth grade. I'm like, that's, great because this should be you know and again like for him who's in 11th grade like there's so much that 11th graders are missing right now which is cru which i think is crucial and i'm like listen in the end like you're still going to get into college next year no matter what happens like appreciate yeah that you can sort of sleep more and hang out more and like yeah it sucks to not see your friends but again it's uh what's the flip side like right full-on middlesex county 11th grade stress like that's not healthy either no. so I, I like that he's sort of ramping it back a little bit in this in this moment although uh, he might feel a bit differently about it <laughs> so dave uh, we'll give you the last question for jill because she's been so awesome and so uh, ex expositionary about so many exciting and diverse topics no i don't i don't, I don't, know, if I, I don't have a i don't know if i have a she is awesome and she's the real deal and um she's a great friend and a great person. I, I, I won't I don't have a question for it, but I just I just enjoy how often. Um, so when, when Joe used to practice in Concord, when she stopped practicing um, through our relationship, some of her patients were looking for other um, another pediatrician to to fill her role, and and I definitely and she sent a lot of people my way, which I really appreciate. And to this day, those those patients still ask <laughs> if she's ever going to come back to practice 
and possibly practice with me in some way. So that's oh, always hey, a North topic, Road Bedford. topic we won't go now to, but Joe and I are always talking about um, our options to work together. Well, I'm almost at the 10-year mark again. So, you know, um, but no, I, I remember having those conversations with those families um, who, you know, whether they lived sort of closer to the Bedford area, I said, I, I've got the person for you. Um, so, yeah. Right. But, but it's, nice, it's nice to know that I mean, you, 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 I think you, I think you're humble enough to, to not always recognize this, but the impact you've made on those patients, right? And also, of course, all the ones that you, you still see to this day in the emergency room. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, pediatrician or physician who can make those uh, relationships even in even in an acute setting like that, right, where where you treat every interaction as as a, as an important one, as a personal one. So we thank you all very much. Oh, well, that's that's kind. That's that's too kind. It's hard. I feel like you know if we can be thankful for one thing right now, if there's anything to be thankful for, and I know that there is. Like you actually right now in my job, I do have that more of that time, which is really nice. Um, to be able to, you know, have relationships with the the families and get sort of understand where they're coming from, and everyone's everyone's scared, but everyone's making the best of it. So, well, I, I can't speak to that kind of background, Jill, but I know that you were a great softball teammate to, to oh. my wonderful wife Elizabeth, and that oh, never got to that. This, 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 it's, it's totally fine. Different, the different most angle. disappointing. The most disappointing part of. This whole shelter at home is not having softball. I actually, I, I, I'm missing spring softball and I'm missing soccer, and so is my wife. So you know that will revert to to you know to pre pre pandemic whenever it can. Um, but I want to thank Jill. You know, you and Dave both for a really really interesting and insightful process of, of talking about um, you know the risks and the, and the challenges and what you're both seeing. I think people will love listening to to what we heard about today, and I really want to thank you. Uh, Joe, for your time, and, and Dave, thanks for making time this morning to to join us on Pod on episode twenty. So this is a great one for episode twenty. All right, um, thank you for you having both. me. I Hopefully appreciate we'll get it. this one up, uh, you know, later today uh, or tomorrow. And Dave, we're banging out more pods this week, um, so everyone buckle up for for a few more. So please uh, like, subscribe, review on iTunes and SoundCloud, and, and hope you enjoy this one. And thanks again, Jill, for coming on this morning. Awesome, thank you, Dave. Have a great day, my friend. Have a, a safe drive home. All right, Dan. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye, Joe. What Do We Know is written by Dan Broskell and Dave Geller and produced by Julie Manugian at Lex Media in Lexington, Massachusetts. Our theme music is written by Joey Freeman. Joey's work can be found on SoundCloud and Spotify. See you next time.